Well, good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see everyone. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, For those of you who know me, uh, you may know why I'm telling you I'm so glad to be here. If you don't, my name is Stacy, and um, my family and I were on quarantine for about three weeks. 21 days. We were all together in our house, and we did not leave. And it is just good to be out, that's all I'm going to say, okay? <laughs> I love my family, but I love this family too, and I am so glad to be back with you guys. Uh, we were able to watch online, and I'm sure a lot of you guys have been watching online from time to time, and if you're watching us this morning, we're so glad you're joining us, but I will tell you, if you're watching online and you have not been back in this building, there is something about gathering together with these people, and it's irreplaceable, so... I'm I'm glad to be here. We are in the middle of our series, Drawn from the Well. And through this series, we have been talking about um, learning. And we were talking last week about leading. And if you are a part of Crosstown, then you know that is a part of what we are. That is our mission statement, that we are learners, lovers, and leaders. It's what you see when you walk in. And so let's just look quickly at the definitions of the two that we've already talked about. We talked about those engaged learning circles. Pastor Paul was sharing with us about perpendicular learning. Um, Let's look at that definition of what a learner is. One who is ready, open, and engaging life-changing truth in Christ's likeness. And we went through a couple of weeks of what that looks like and how to be ready and open to life-changing truth because the truth of Jesus Christ is life-changing changing. And then last week, we learned about what it looks like to be an in-the-middle-of-it leader. And this year in 2020 has given us many opportunities to be in the middle of it, because even people who are strong leaders have probably taken a step back. And so, as we learned last week, the definition of leader is one who lives with courage and determination to help bring about God's best in all situations and in others. And there is no greater time in our history that I have seen where we need leaders who will take the courage to bring about God's best in all situations. It doesn't matter whether you're interacting with the UPS guy or whether you're interacting with your mother-in-law or whether you're interacting with your next door neighbor. We need courage to bring the God's best out. And that is what we learned about last week. And so this week, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to be a lover. And, you know, you may think, well, that's a real easy one. And if you're like me, I thought that too, because since I was a little girl, I've always known Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. God loves me. You know, the most famous verse in Scripture is, for God so loved the world. We talk about God's love all the time. But what I want you to do this morning is just take a pause. I want us to just sit for a second and not assume that we already know about God's love for us because I think so often we fall in that trap. I want to share a story with you from my childhood. My dad, I had a great relationship with my dad, and um, that's a blessing, and I'm thankful for that. But when I was a little girl, my dad and I used to have this game where we played uh, this game with each other, and he would always say to me, I love you more than you love me. And my little eight-year-old self would look back up at my dad, and I believed it every fiber of my being. No way, Daddy. I love you more than you could ever love me. And we would just do this constantly. Well, fast forward, and I had my first child. And I will never forget, in the hospital, looking down at my daughter and then looking at my dad and saying, you were right. (laughs) 
You loved me more. You really did. Because in that moment, a whole nother aspect, depth, breadth, width of love had opened up because I understood a little bit more in that moment. You know, I was hesitant to share this story with you because I know that it probably brings about different emotions for different people. Um, maybe you're sitting here and you didn't have a dad who demonstrated that kind of love to you. And so when you hear that, there may be a little bit of jealousy or anger, or maybe for you, you were the mom or dad who didn't demonstrate that love. And maybe there's a little bit of remorse and regret. Um, I don't know where that story hits you. Maybe you're someone here who desperately wants a child um, and all you can feel is pain and loss. But the reason I shared that story with you is because the love we're going to talk about today is a perfect love that has been poured out, given to us, demonstrated to us through God, through his son, Jesus Christ. And that is a love that is available to every single one of us. So whatever presupposition you're bringing today to when we're talking about how much God loves us and what he's calling us to do out of that love, I just want you to try and put it aside. My heart's prayer all week as I, as I have prepared, and trust me, I've had a lot of time to prepare because, you know, you want to avoid cleaning your house when you're trapped in it. Um, but all week as I was preparing for this, my heart's prayer was, God, show us an even deeper level of your love. Wherever we are today, God wants to show us an even deeper level of his love. So with that in mind, let's look at our definition of lover. It is one who is passionately seeking value-adding interaction with God, ourselves, and others. It is someone who is seeking value-adding interaction. And again, we bring presuppositions to the table when we hear value-adding interaction. Because a lot of us think that a value-adding interaction is something that is always positive. And what I want us to learn today is that maybe it's in some of those negative situations where we can really learn how to add value with our relationship with God, with our relationship with others around us. You know, and the other thing it's real helpful to remember when we think about learner, lover, and leader, um, sometimes I would think, okay, well, those are just steps that I'm going to ascend. I'm going to be a learner, a lover, and then a leader, and I'm done, and I've achieved it. I don't want you to think about these three as independent of one another. They are not independent of one another. They are inner, interdependent on one another. They are interdependent on one another. They are not steps to ascend, but stages to cycle through. So, you know, you kind of can think about it um, this way, that we learn how to love so that we can lead others to Jesus who can teach them to love to lead others to Jesus so they can learn to love to lead to Jesus and the cycle continues. That's really the crux of it. This is an ongoing cycle. As long as there is breath in our lungs, we are to cycle through being learners, lovers, and leaders. So it doesn't matter whether I'm standing on stage or I'm sitting down there or I'm in a moment of success or failure. It should be for all of us that we want to cycle through these. And today, we're going to be looking at a guy who does go through these stages of being a learner, a lover, and a leader. He's one of these guys in Scripture, though. He honestly was probably a natural-born leader. We see a lot of evidence in Scripture where he's leading things. But today, we're going to take a close look at his willingness to learn 
which allowed him to look into how to be loved so he can love. His willingness to learn how to be loved so he can be love. So it's that idea to be loved to love or beloved to love. Because this guy begins to understand what it means to be beloved of God. And I think that's where God wants us today. We can say God loves us, but how often do you think about the fact that you are beloved of God? You are the object of his affection. Scripture talks about beloved, that Jesus was beloved of God. Matthew records it several times where God is speaking over Jesus and calling Jesus beloved. And then Jesus calls us beloved. And it all stems from the love of God. And what we're going to see in this guy today is how he was a natural born leader. He was really a successful guy. He was someone who could draw on his well of success and obedience. Over and over again in scripture, we see this guy. He's the one who says, at your command, Lord, I'll drop the nets. He's the one who said, command me to get out and walk on the water and I will do it. He's the one who walked with Jesus within that circle of 12, and then he was in that inner circle of three that Jesus pulled aside in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was one of the guys that Jesus took up on the mountain of transfiguration, and he saw Jesus transfigured into all his glory. This dude had a lot of success under his belt. He had been drawing on that well of success over and over again. But probably one of the things that he's most well known for is his denial. So if you've been in church or around church or heard church language, you probably know the story of Peter denying Christ on the night that he was betrayed. As a matter of fact, the story of Peter's denial of Christ is recorded in all four Gospels. This is the same guy who prior to this was like, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, that's right, Peter. And man didn't tell you this, but God told you this, Peter. This is the same guy who had had all of this success. And then he comes to this time where he denies Jesus. And he experiences this great failure. Have you ever been to a point where you've experienced a great failure? I have. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But the reality is it's in those moments where we can have value-adding interaction. See, a lot of us, like myself, we like to cover up our failures. We don't want to talk about our failures. We want to cover them up. We want to hide them. We want to pretend that they don't exist. And in this year, in 2020, when we have heard nothing except quarantine, isolation, social distancing, it's been real easy to hide our failures. And what God wants to do today is he wants to get real personal with us. And we're going to see that as we look at this story of Peter today. And I'm not going to actually read you the part where Peter denies Jesus, because we all know Peter denies Jesus. But I want to start a little bit before that when Jesus has a conversation with the disciples. So we're going to be in John chapter 13. Um, and I'm going to start out, I want to just kind of set it up. So basically, Jesus is in the upper room the night before he is, the night that he is going to be arrested and right before his crucifixion. And he knows that his time is coming to an end. And so he knows how important this evening is and what he needs to communicate to his disciples. And I want you to listen to the language that he uses with his disciples, the language of love, the demonstration, the example that he is teaching 
bring them in this moment. So uh, John chapter 13, starting in verse 33. Little children, just that first phrase, little children, that's an endearing term that Jesus is using with his disciples. He wants them to know he is communicating a language of belovedness over them. He is saying, little children, how much I love you. You are endearing to me. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. Love one another just as I have loved you, so also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another." See, he's telling them, you are to love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Let me just stop there for a second. Don't you think it's interesting? Jesus is like, hey, listen, where I'm going, you can't go. And Peter, the guy who's had so much success, he, he jumps right back to, wait, I want to go with you. Because Jesus goes on to say, but now I'm going to give you a new commandment. Peter doesn't ask him anymore about that new commandment. He goes back to, wait a second, why can't I go? I want to go with you. Because Peter remembered his well of success and all the things that he had done with Jesus. And Peter is extremely confident. Listen to this. Listen to the confidence in Peter's language. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Do you hear the confidence in Peter's voice? Wait a second, Lord, why can't I go with you? I will lay my life down. Peter tells him, if everybody else runs, I will not. I will stay by your side. And I believe in that moment, Peter believed that with every fiber of his being. In the same way, my eight-year-old little mind really, truly believed that I loved my dad as much as he loved me. And I think that's where Peter was. And what I love about this is Jesus didn't say, oh, Peter, you're so immature. You don't even know. You don't even know. No, you know what Jesus did? Jesus loved Peter enough to get really personal with him. In every single one of the Gospels, it says that Jesus told Peter, you will deny me before the rooster crows. He told him how many times he would deny him, and he told him how many times the rooster was going to crow. He was very specific. And the reality is that Jesus loves us enough that he is willing to get specific with us. But we don't like that. We don't want him to get real specific. We want him to say, you know, do better, be better, act better, be kind, be love. And I'm not saying those things aren't wrong. Those things are good. But Jesus wants to take us to the next level. God wants to communicate to us that he knows every single one of us personally and intimately. And he wants to be specific with us in the same way that he was specific with Peter. But the language that Peter uses is this self-confidence. Oh, no, I will lay my life down for you, Lord. Have you ever been in a place of that kind of self-confidence? Maybe it didn't actually look like confidence for you. Maybe it was self-independence. I don't need anybody. I'll do it all by myself. 
You know, or maybe for you it was just self-centeredness. Why does every bad thing have to happen to me? Wherever it is, we rely on our well of self. Your well of self will run dry. Peter's well of self-confidence, maybe it's self-isolation for you, maybe it's self-independence for you, whatever it is, it will run dry. And Jesus knows exactly at the moment that it's going to run dry for Peter, and that's why he was specific to him. And Peter's well of self-confidence ran dry, but thank goodness for Peter and for us, the well of his ever-ending mercy and grace will never, ever run dry. His love endures forever. And Peter is going to understand that when we continue looking at the rest of this story. We know if you continue in the um, few chapters later that you actually read of Peter's denial just a few hours after this occurrence. um, When Peter says, no, I'll never leave you, Lord, and then he gets arrested. Just a few hours later, Peter denied him three times. And not only did Peter deny Jesus, Peter cursed himself. He put curses on himself saying, no, may I be cursed if I was with that man. And then in the Gospel of Luke, it actually records the moment where the rooster crows and Peter looks at Jesus and Jesus looks at Peter. You ever been in that kind of failure? You've ever been in that kind of compromise? You've ever been in a situation where the success that you had been working on has now come to an end? If you haven't, you will. If 2020 didn't push you there, then we need to talk because I can tell you um, 2020 pushed me to some of those points. Peter's well of success had been replaced with a well of defeat, betrayal, shame, and failure. That's where Peter found himself at the moment that the rooster crowed. He realized he was at the end of his well. One of my mentors once said, If we do not allow people to have opportunities to fail in their pursuit of God, then we are being unjust. And the reality is we must allow ourselves to fail in our pursuit of God because if we aren't willing to let ourselves fail in our pursuit of God, then we're not willing to grow. It was kind of like Ricky was talking about with the the fire and that seed. It had to be willing to let the fire happen. Peter had to be willing to walk through this failure. So what well of success have you been drawing on? You know, what have you been running to? What did you do right that you were running to and now that's come to an end? In 2020, a lot of us have faced failure, disappointment, sadness. Um, Some of us have experienced great loss and whatever well we were drawing on has been spoiled or run dry. And we think that maybe we're angry with God because how could a loving God let this happen? And like we've been learning through this series, maybe this is exactly where God wants us so that he can take us to his well of unending love, his well of grace. You know, um, I was in quarantine for three weeks with my family. And guess what? Every year we talk about what a word is for our family. And so um, this year, early in 2020, um, we sat down and our word was family. That was going to be our word this year. Y'all... I had no idea that that meant we were going to go into a pandemic and the only people I could see were my family. It's been real intense. I mean, I just laugh because I think the Lord says, listen, you are stubborn, so we're just going to take care of this. But in this time of quarantine recently, um, over the last three weeks, 
there was a lot of opportunity for me to succeed with my relationship with God and my relationship with those in my house. And there were a lot of opportunities for me to fail as well. And um, just if you haven't gone through quarantine, you may. Just know you can do it, okay? You can. And you're going to have successes and you're going to have failures. And I had two very specific failures. And I don't mean general like, oh, you know, I just didn't do something or I snapped at my kids. I mean specific pointed failures where God told me to do something and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And God said, don't do it. And I said, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm not proud of that. But I'm also not ashamed of that either. I'm not going to tell you the details of my failures, but they were real and they were specific. The reason I'm not going to tell you the details is, again, not because I'm ashamed of them or embarrassed of them. It's because I don't want you to do what I do. We compare. So if I tell you how I failed, you're going to think one of two things. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was terrible. Why is she standing on stage? She, she has no validity. She failed in a big way. Or you're going to think she has no idea what failure really is. I'm a much greater failure. See, the point is not the actual act of failure. The point is how are we going to respond to the failure? We don't see the failure as a value-adding interaction. But when we are connected to the God of the universe, it is a value-adding interaction with him and with others. But we have to cooperate through the failure. We have to let him get personal. We have to let him talk about it with us. And then we have to be willing to respond rightly to our failures. So will we allow the love of God to wash over us? Or will we hide in shame? It's been an easy year to stay in our house locked in our own shame and guilt and disappointment and frustration of ourselves. And now is the time when God is saying, no more. That well is dry. Come to my well of unending love, grace, and mercy, because that's what he has to offer us today. It's only when that well that we've been drawing on gets spoiled can we begin to understand the courageous, audacious love of God. I love the word audacious. I looked it up. It means something that is invented, like brand new, something that has not happened before. And see, Jesus coming in the form of a baby was something that had never happened before. Never had a virgin given birth to a baby before. That's the audacious love of God. And as we are in this Christmas season, this is a time for us to remember, no matter what well we have been drawing on, the audacious, courageous, restorative love of God was demonstrated in the birth of Jesus Christ. And it is Jesus' birth and then Jesus' ultimate sacrifice on the cross that brings about our forgiveness. See, when Peter heard the rooster crow and he caught that glimpse of Jesus, he ran out and he wept bitterly. Peter was full of shame. He was full of defeat. He was full of disappointment. He thought he had disappointed God. But the reality is, if you think you've disappointed God, you have not disappointed God. You know why? Because just like Jesus was personal and specific with Peter, he already knows. He knows what your failure is going to be tomorrow. He knows what my failure will be in a week from now. He knows it and he loves us and he still desires to be in relationship with us. 
That is why we are not a disappointment to God. So if you have had in your mind, well, you know, I'm just a disappointment to God. I've disappointed my family. Maybe you did because maybe your family had an expectation on you that you did not meet. But you did not disappoint God. He already knew. Before a word is ever formed on your lips, he knows it full well. That's what the psalmist tells us. God knows everything that we're going to do before we do it. And you know what? He still chose to send his son in the form of a baby to sacrifice on a cross for us. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter's success had run dry, and now not only did Jesus know it, but Peter was faced with that reality as well. Peter knew, and it's only then when that well of self-confidence gets spoiled that we can rely on the courageous restorative love. As a matter of fact, 1 John 4, 9 tells us that that is the demonstration of love. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest made known, made demonstrated among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There is no life apart from Christ. There isn't. It is going to run dry. I don't care how good it was. 2020 probably made you realize, wait a second, there's got to be something more. The love of God was made manifest to us through his son, Jesus. And that love says, follow me. That's what the love of God looks like. It does not look like perfection. It does not look like not failing. The love of God says, follow me. See, right before Jesus and Peter had that interaction in John where Jesus said to him, hey, Peter, you're gonna deny me. And Jesus had told him to love one another as he had loved them. Right before that, Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet. He had given them an example. And then he said, what I am doing is giving you an example. Follow me. Follow me. And so what God's love is calling to us to do is to follow in his footsteps. And do you know what Jesus' demonstration of love was? Look to the cross. It was forgiveness. The forgiveness of sins. That's the way Jesus demonstrated love to us. So some of us need to step into that forgiveness. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's not instantaneous. So for me, in those specific failures that I had over the last three weeks of quarantine, this past week, I'll be honest, it was more of a success than a failure. It tends to happen when you know that you're going to be on stage on Sunday morning. You kind of say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get serious, right? Um, I hope that I do that all the time. But, but in this last week, but it wasn't until yesterday that I really began to forgive myself. See, I still was struggling throughout the week with, God, how? And yesterday I was out on a run, and I was just, my... Um, Headphones were dying, my watch was dying, and so I was stuck running in silence for two miles uh, yesterday. And uh, it was a good two miles of silence because the Lord spoke to me. I'd been putting things in my ears to distract me, and yesterday I had no other choice but to listen. And uh, so as I was running, I began telling him, God, I don't know how to get past this. Like, I, I, I failed you, and I'm sorry, and I know that you forgive me, God, but how do I move past it? What do I do? Because I'm still struggling in these relationships. And he said, follow me and forgive yourself. I have forgiven you. Now forgive yourself. And I think for a lot of us, we need to be in that place where we can receive the forgiveness of God and then forgive ourselves 
and move on following after Jesus. Watch how Peter gets restored. I love this. We're going to be in John 21. So, you know, we know Peter denied Jesus, and then Jesus was crucified, and then he rose again. And one of the first things that Jesus said after his resurrection was, hey, let Peter know. And then Jesus appeared to his disciples a couple of more times. He appeared to Peter two other times before we get to this point in Scripture. Because Jesus is patient with us, too. And he'll wait on us. I had those failures and I knew I was forgiven, but it wasn't until yesterday when I allowed God to speak to me on that run in that silence that I really truly forgave myself and knew that I was forgiven. And so listen to this language that um, Jesus has with Peter and how Peter responds. Remember, it's not exactly the act of the failure but it's the response to it. And I just want you to hear how Peter responds. So basically, you know, they know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. They've seen him a couple of times. And we start out with, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to what he knew. He was a fisherman, and so he's going back. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you hear that term of endearment again? He's talking to them in that very endearing way. Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, interestingly enough, that's John who's writing this because he was not self-confident. He was Jesus confident. He had his confidence in who Jesus said he was. So he knew that he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he refers to himself in every time in the gospel. And I just love that. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Do you hear how Peter responds when they, he knows it's Jesus? It took somebody else helping him recognize that it was Jesus. And then, did he recoil in shame? Did he stay in the boat? Did he say, oh no, I don't want to be near you? Because see, that's how I tend to respond to my failures. When I fail, I am less likely to run into the arms of Jesus. But what God has been teaching me over the last several weeks is that I need to run straight to his arms. I need to follow Peter's example. Jump out of the boat, be willing to get wet, and run straight to the shore where Jesus was waiting on him. See, after Peter's failure, if you read in a lot of um, commentaries, they'll tell you, well, Peter went back to his old way of life. Like, you know, Peter had a failure and he just reverted back. And I think there is something to that. And I think some of us do need to ask ourselves that question. You know, what has 2020 caused me to fall back into? What habits have I picked back up in 2020 that I did not want? But I also think some of us have given up on the calling that God has laid out for us. And maybe that's where Peter was. Maybe Peter knew because Jesus had said to Peter, 
on you. I will build my church, Peter. You're a rock. I'm going to build my church on you. And the gates of hell will not come against it. But yet we find Peter going back to fishing. Has God called you to something, but yet in 2020 you failed? And so you just have given up on the calling that God had over your life? Don't allow that to stand. Run back to Jesus just like Peter did. You know, I honestly think that maybe part of the reason that Peter went back to this seashore is the same place where he met Jesus for the first time. It's the place in Scripture where we see that Jesus called him out and said, Hey, Peter, I know you're a fisherman, but drop those fishing nets and follow me because I'm going to teach you how to be a fisher of men. I'm going to teach you how to be my disciple. And so maybe Peter went back to that place because he knew that's where Jesus met him. Maybe Jesus needs to take us back to the place where we met him. Maybe he needs to remind us of our first love. And if you don't have a moment like that in your life, then maybe today is the day that you can say, I want to follow you. But Jesus loved Peter so much that he never got angry with him about the failure that was going to occur, the denial, none of that. Jesus wanted to restore Peter. And that's what we see in the scripture. I love at the end of those verses there, it talks about how um, there was a charcoal fire on the side of the, the shore there. And I think that's intentional because if you read in the gospel account, when Peter denied Jesus, do you know where Peter was standing? He was standing in front of a charcoal fire. So Jesus had a charcoal fire waiting on Peter so that he could restore him. See, some of us don't want to go where God's telling us to go because it's way too painful. Don't you think it wasn't lost on Peter that there was a charcoal fire there? And Peter probably remembers the last time he sat by a charcoal fire. He denied his Savior. Some of us, God is leading us back to a place because he wants to restore us. If he's getting personal with you, it is because he loves you and he wants to restore you. Be willing to follow him. The last thing that Peter and Jesus talk about here, the last thing that Jesus says to him, Jesus says, follow me. And Peter's like, yeah, but what about this guy and that guy? And Jesus says, it doesn't matter what happens to them. So it doesn't matter what's going on with your spouse. It doesn't matter what's going on with your kids. It doesn't matter what's going on with your job. Jesus is telling you today, follow me. That is what this courageous love looks like, being willing to follow him. Let's look back at our definition of lover. It's one who is passionately seeking value-adding interaction with God, ourselves, and others. Peter knows what a value-adding interaction is. It is not running from his failure. It is running into the arms of his Savior. It is willing to go back to the place of failure so that God could restore him. That's a value-adding interaction. So when you think about that, it is not just your wells of success. It is in those moments of failure where real value-adding interaction occurs with God, with ourselves, and with others. The author of the book of Lamentations, he talks about how well he is acquainted with his sin and with his failure. And he says that his soul continuously remembers it, and he calls this to mind to give him hope. Are you allowing your mind to recall your failure over and over and over again? Are you going to call this to mind to give you hope? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, 
The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Some of us need to stop putting our hope in ourselves, in the restoration of a marriage, in the restoration of a relationship. We need to go back to putting our hope in the one who can save. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That is where our hope comes from. And I'm going to tell you, as we move into 2021, a lot of us think it's going to be better when that calendar flips on New Year's Eve to New Year's Day. Nothing is going to change unless you allow God to begin the change inside of you, unless I allow God to begin the change inside of me. And so this morning, as we move into this time of expression, I don't know where this message hits you, but I know that God wants you to know he will meet you right where you are. If you are on a mountaintop with him, praise God he's there with you. If you are down in the valley of the shadow of death and you are at a low point, praise God he is with you there. And he is inviting you to come this morning and to respond. So maybe for you, that's coming and praying with our pastors and elders. Or maybe that's you declaring the love of God over yourself by writing that out. Take your name and say, whatever your name is, God loves me. And put your name there and pin it to the cross. Or maybe you want to come and take the blood and the body of Christ and remember the sacrifice and the forgiveness of sin that was poured out for us. He is inviting you in today. How are you going to respond? God, we thank you that your steadfast love never ends. It is not dependent on my success or my failure, but your love is never ending. It is steadfast. It is with us. It remains. It stays forever. Your mercies are new every morning, every hour, and every second. God, I thank you that you are a God who showed us what courageous, audacious love looks like. And so, Father, we look to you this morning to receive more of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.